Hello, and it's time to step in the Pantheon. My name is Matthew Holding. Um, no, this is not a podcast about ancient Roman architecture or the building blocks of Roman Catholicism. What I mean by in the Pantheon is how we assess where things stand in the historical vaults of art and culture, specifically TV. This is a podcast about where TV shows stand in the Pantheon. Um, basically, this is the first episode. Um, we're going. What we're going to do each episode is hopefully I'm going to be able to get a guest. Uh, we're going to discuss two shows from the past or the present or the semi-present and discuss an episode from each show and talk about the themes of them, the ideas within it, the similarities between it, um, how we view these shows uh, since time has passed. Um, you know, I wanted to do this because I think that, like many people see it at the moment, that television uh, is the new novel. Um, we are, or we might have been, who knows if we still are living in the golden age of television, where shows like The Sopranos, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, The Wire, um, really do stand the test of time of being able to convey how we view the world, how we view our emotions, um, what we see in ourselves. I truly do believe that television is this presence um, which we can go to to basically look at ourselves and we can find something in it we do like, we don't like, and that was my inspiration for doing this. Um, today I'm going to be getting my friend Jono on. Um, we're going to talk about one of my favorite shows. I'm sure if you're listening, one of your favorite shows, The Sopranos and the season one episode called College. And we're also going to be looking at the iconic teen Judd Apatow comedy Freaks and Geeks and the episode Dead Dogs and Gym Teachers. Um, just a bit of warning, I will be basically talking about spoilers um, when I am discussing this show because I feel like if you truly want to uh, assess the show of where it stands as a historical item you and a piece of uh, long-form narrative, um, you kind of have to talk about what happens in it. Um, so this is the first episode. Uh, I hope you enjoy and um, I'll leave us to leave you to my discussion with Jono. It's weird how the pressure shows up as soon as the mic turns on. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, edit me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave mm-hmm. Um, we'll start now. The Sopranos. If we're talking about television and where it sits in the pantheon, then this is the best show to start with. Um, the show we're looking at today is College. It's from the first season. Um, I think this is basically the face that launched The Sopranos. Um, in many ways, this is how I view the pilot and the, what is you know what should have been the pilot. It's um, basically the perfect show for hooking your teeth into it. How did you feel about it, Jono? I was really surprised when you told me that it would be a, show, a podcast about the best episodes of television. I was really surprised that College was on it because I did not have fond memories of this. Really? Yeah, the first time I saw it, I was like, man, this is just an hour of killing time with his family. Yeah. That I did not want to, like, the first time I watched The Sopranos, I yeah, was expecting yeah. way more stuff like, I don't know, like Goodfellas or The Godfather. Yeah, that's interesting. And it gets into that later on. Yeah. But like re-watching it now and having an appreciation for the show like understanding that it's more of a show about family yes and absolutely analyzing yeah like tony's loyalties yeah like watching that now i really really enjoyed it yeah um I, yeah i think like this is the show this sorry this is the episode which i think in like terms of you know the the starting arc of it perfectly balances 
the psychology of the Sopranos and the, you know, the gritty crime like narrative of it. Mm. Um, I think, you know, this, you know, if, if this is a show about the faces we wear and mm. what we present to the world, <laughs> um, the separation between public and private life, um, then this, you know, this is just a great starting point. Yeah, absolutely. I think all the themes of the Sopranos are in that one episode. Yeah. And like they expand on them later on over the length of seasons, but as a standalone episode, I mean, you could watch college anywhere in probably the first two or three seasons and it would fit. Like it doesn't really go too far outside yeah. of that, aside from Meadow going to college. Yeah, yeah, like that yeah. would be a storyline that doesn't really fit anywhere else, but you know, the rest of it does. It's yeah. quite self contained. Yeah. Well I think, you know, uh for the listeners who haven't seen it, I mean hopefully, you know, if you get the opportunity, watch the show before uh mm. listening to the podcast because, you know, it's a lot more fun that way. Um, this is an episode where basically Tony is uh taking Meadow around beautiful Maine in New England looking at colleges that she could potentially uh, go into in her um, new chapter in life. Um, and on the journey, Tony ends up finding a former mob associate who I think his name was Febby? Something like that. Something it like starts that. with an F. Yeah, I think yeah. it's Febby, um, who basically was a rat, squealed to the FBI, got mm. put in the witness protection program, and now Tony wants to tie up some loose ends. Yeah, so by coincidence, he bumps into this former rat, and Tony sees him, and he's sort of escorting his daughter around, but he's torn between that and the dilemma of seeing a former rat yeah. he's got to take care of. Yeah. You know, in a mafia sort of way. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. All the while, uh, what's happening back in New Jersey is Carmel is just basically kicking it at the, kicking it at the homestead with Father Phil. Who, uh, if you know, if you've seen the show, you know, is the lovely McManimous from Oz. Um, yes. Now, this is why I don't really like why I didn't have fond memories of it because I fucking hate the priest in the first couple of seasons yeah. of the show. I find him insufferable. Well, he's a slimy guy. Yeah. Like, oh, good. Thank you, know, you for saying that. Uh, you know, like, I think like one of the perfect you know themes of the show um, is you know the idea of Catholic guilt and mm. whatnot, and, you know, particularly Catholic guilt in the Italian-American experience. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's seen in, through Carmela, like, mm. you know, a lot, and particularly in this episode. But I like how, you know, they really just nail in the point of, you know, Father Phil in this episode in, you know, his personal battle with, uh, you know, his lust for Carmela. And, yeah, and know. all the other women of the church. Like, yeah. he goes around and eats their food and sort of has this weird seduction thing going yeah. on. And he's, like, the creepiest dude, but he's like the one that they all turn to for some sort of redemption and forgiveness. So there's this real weird irony in that. Yeah. That like as an as a viewer and an, as an observer, you see this guy and you're like, man, I hate that dude. I want nothing to yeah. do with him. And all the other characters are sort of going to him for like guidance. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just, he's just a weird guy. He basically has an <laughs> orgasm while uh, giving Carmela the body of Christ. Hey, who hasn't? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty um, as charged. Yeah. No. So... You know, I think we should probably go back to the Tony story. Um, yes. Because, yeah, yeah, you know, sure. that's, you know, pretty much the, mm. you know, um, they're both great. You know, I think, like, you know, just it's just an idea that, you know, the duality between, like, Tony and Carmela's uh, narratives in this are just, you know, perfectly well-rounded because um, I guess it's a story about, you know, the faces we present to the world and the guilt between of the faces of which we're trying to hide to the world. Mm. You have notes and I have notes, but uh, one of them 
there's a quote that Tony reads yes. in the school. Nathaniel Hawthorne, I Hawthorne. think, was it? Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. I only know one other thing about him, and yeah. he gets quoted in The Departed. Oh, wow, as well. cool. Yeah, yeah, but the quote is, No man can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which one may be true, which is a great quote. Um, the other quote in The Departed is, Families are always rising and falling in America, okay. which I think is also very relevant to The yeah, Sopranos, but absolutely. we'll stick with this one Particularly now. like relevant to this episode, because... One thing which really struck me about this episode, and as a long-standing idea of The Sopranos, mm. is the idea of the Italian-American experience and yeah. where that fits into, you know, particularly American history, American e- economics and stuff like that. And I, I really liked the, um, the way in which, you know, Meadow is a, you know, is a young aspiring liberal mm. um, and, you know, she's trying to display to Tony that, you know, these are these colleges, they're great things um, for the world, you know, they're inspiring yeah. or not. But, you know, Tony, I guess, has that sort of working class chip on his shoulder. Of, yeah. You know, his family's generations came here before him mm. and, you know, they didn't uh, they didn't make themselves success through being, you know, lefty liberals on yeah. campus. It was through, you know, working the in the meat and, shops and yeah. the docks and stuff like that. And, mm. like, um, I don't know if I'd call it, like, anti intellectualism but an- maybe anti-elitism i think yeah, I, um i think so well i think it's just part of tony's character because he really wants his daughter to succeed and do well because her glory reflects his own glory yeah so there's like a bit of himself tied up in that i think but at the same time like he's very like he's very concerned with taking her down a peg or two yeah yeah absolutely like, throughout the whole episode like meadow will say stuff and he will sort of dig away at her yeah um but yeah, I mean that's just I think his character. I don't know if that's the show. Um, I really I, like I know. like you know particularly this. Um, I guess the building block between uh, Tony and Meadow in this episode is like really good for character development. Mm. I you know I love the way of which you know Meadow engages Tony about you know his real life of a mob boss. Yeah, I think it's the first time that the characters in the family sort of discuss it very explicitly. Yeah, because he's. Like, up until this point, this is the fifth episode of the first season. Yeah. And up until this point, he sort of danced around it with both his family members and his psychiatrist. Uh, his psychiatrist knows something is up. Yeah. But, um, like, he never explicitly talks about it. And Meadow confronts him very yeah. specifically and says, you know, how much of this stuff are you involved in? And he doesn't give away the whole truth. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I think, you know, there's all, he, like, there's, you know, I talk about guilt. There's a lot of guilt coming of Tony in this episode when he sort of realizes that maybe his work in organized crime um is coming and affecting the family mm. um i think that particularly when meadows confession that you know she's been taking speed yeah. and that she's not such you know the innocent little girl that tony always thought of her mm. um there's a lot of like uh visual motifs which is you know obviously a you know huge thing of the sopranos yeah, um yeah. i think it was the uh, scene in which they're in the tavern in some one of the towns, yeah. and you can see that there is a uh, rifle pointed directly at car- at Meadow's head from oh, like really? hanging above it. Oh man! See, I miss all this sort of crap. Yeah. All I noticed was like there's the dropkick Murphys fucking yeah, yeah. playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wasn't into that at all. Yeah. But um, yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think you know Tony feels. A lot of guilt. Well, not guilt. Let's say he's maybe coming to an awakening yeah. of that. You know, this life may one day come to mm. the home, and yeah, it may yeah. affect him. You yeah. know, um, yeah. And Something... I think that you know that 
you know, there's that duality also with Carmela's story about her guilt is about, you know, she feels guilty about, you know, the blood that has been spilled, mm. which has built the lovely house of which she's so proud of. And, you yeah. know, how she lives with herself and how she lives as a religious woman. Yeah. You know? How complicit is she in what Tony's doing? Like, yeah. She offers moral support and familial support yeah, yeah. to Tony. And so in some regard, I guess she's responsible for what he does. And yeah, I guess what he does is made explicit in this episode when he uh, strangles the other guy to death. Yes. Phoebe or whatever his yes. name is. Now, definitely watch the episode because uh, at, for most of the episode, you're not sure if if it's even the guy. Yeah. And if Tony is definitely going to act on it. Yeah. Um, the first time I watched it, I was pretty sure that like Tony had made a mistake and it had like had recognized somebody else until yeah, he killed yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, okay, well clearly it was the guy. Like they wouldn't do that. To yeah. Us. Kind of me tricking myself. But, um, oh, I've totally lost the thread of where I was going with that. That's unfortunate. Well, uh, I mean, never mind. Well, Sorry. I mean, I don't know. One of the things that I like, you know, the thing that's great about the Sopranos is that, you know, it has a lot of, you know, uh, filmic sort of you know um styles and whatnot and this just reminded me of cape fear this episode oh really yeah oh, i love cape fear mixed the movie with, yeah yeah the movie yeah, also mixed with i don't know it was a little bit hitchcockian at times mm. maybe a bit north by northwest yeah something like that but yeah i don't know i just like taking the trip with tony around you know new england oh it's a good trip it's fun and he's really funny yeah oh man that is something that i totally missed the first time I watched, until I got to about season three or four of The Sopranos, yeah. I didn't realise how mind-blowingly funny yeah, Tony yeah. Soprano was. I guess I was pretty young the first time I watched it, so I missed a lot of stuff. Yeah. But whenever you rewatch it, it's like, man, that guy like is just compelling yeah. on the television. Yeah, like, I, I really like the pop culture references mm. which Tony always has. I mean, I think he's... Uh, when uh, Meadow name drops uh, Mario Cuomo, the former governor of uh, New York, who oh, was yeah. one of who was a Democratic candidate for the presidency, um, think back in the eighties and whatnot, and yep. you know is one of these uh, sort of bastions of Italian Americans in politics, and was a big you know, um, you know guy in the sort of pro labor, pro union, hmm. um, sort of anti Reagan movement. Yep. Um, yeah, his uh, reaction to you know. The use of him is amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, what was it? Tony's uh, Tony's love of history. I love when that comes yeah. out. When he, you know, the constant references to Napoleon mm. in the Sopranos is brilliant. And he loves just the role that Italian Americans play in building America. He is obsessed with it. Yeah. Like that's the most patriotic he ever gets. Yeah. Is like when he's obsessed with history. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um. Talking about history in this mm. episode, one of my favorite visual uh, motifs was it is when uh, Tony recognizes um, that it is Febby's travel shop mm. because he sees the Reagan bobblehead doll in the window. Oh, really? Um, because there's the sort of um, notorious idea that Reagan was connected to the mafia, oh, and yeah. a lot of his you know domestic policy and like particularly um, union policy was. Um, being influenced by the mafia and stuff like that um and also you know it goes in on the lips of reagan on the bobblehead doll (laughs) febby's a squealer yeah and whatnot um yeah i don't know like it's david chase is a genius there's a lot of such in-depth like influence in you know history yeah um and whatnot to yeah yeah like i don't think david i think david chase is a genius absolutely i agree yeah i don't think 
The Sopranos is a subtle show. No, it's uh, it, like it, it goes in. It yeah, goes yeah. In. It just gives it to you, but it gives you so much. Like uh, it gives you a meal, and you've got to digest it. Like yeah. there's so much in there. Um, yes, watch The Sopranos, dear listener. If you're if you're sitting on the fence and you need a good six season show to fill your year, just watch The Sopranos. It's yeah. fantastic. A little bit of inside baseball on this episode. I was reading up on it, mm-hmm. and apparently HBO um, was really trying to uh, twist David Chase's wrist because they did not want Debbie to die I at read the, the end same of this thing. episode. Um, yeah. I think maybe this was in a Seppenwall or Todd Vanderwiff review I read recently or something on AV Club or yeah, you yeah. know hip, hip Flex or something. But yeah, apparently they thought that it would dehumanize Tony, turn him into you know a bad guy, yeah. and that the the audience would be ostracized in this. And David Chase said that by not letting him kill him, like Tony had to kill him in order to be strong. Like, yeah. Uh, otherwise it would just undermine what they had done to the character. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Like, he has to kill that guy. Yeah. It's Tony. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if if this was going to, you know, turn the, turn the viewers against the show, I wonder, you know, what would have happened for the rest of, you know, yeah, the, like, <laughs> the seasons. He does some bad things. Yeah, you don't, he's a bad you guy. D- oh, sometimes you I, just wonder. I love him, but he's, you know, Sometimes you just wonder why men. HBO are making shows because they don't seem to get it. But you don't watch, like, a mafia show to see, like, a mafia guy not kill a guy. Absolutely. You know? Like, yeah. It's There's, bizarre to me. You know, part of the brilliance of the show is, you know the the conflicts within the characters mm. and there's the conflict of you know i guess you know the prototype of the of the um of the anti-hero yeah and tony trying to do right mm. and sometimes he doesn't get it right yeah, and yeah. it's a learning experience yeah, absolutely. and it's a learning experience for us all yeah not and- to compare myself to tony <laughs> or anything like that <laughs> well i don't know we talked about it being a self-contained episode and because there's so little of like the crime outside of this if you were going to watch this one episode and tony didn't kill febby from a crime story yeah which i think the sopranos definitely is yes like from a crime story yeah. point of view it doesn't work no like yeah it needs to have that release anyway i love christopher in this episode oh, i did i just love you know he's fantastic tony muscling him around bossing him around the mm. particularly um i don't i'm not sure what's meant to represent but all of his scenes being in the rain and enlightening yeah really interesting yeah uh, I this don't know what hilarious. to make of it. Yeah, oh, my favorite version of Christopher is when Tony's picking on him. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. just as soon as Christopher gets an ego and gets away with it, it's like, nah, you yeah. need somebody to just like whip him. Like, I guess it's the building blocks of his character because it was in season one, and they're really trying to, you know, um, mm. you know, form a narrative and an idea around him. And I guess if he's getting bossed around the whole episode, then that's the perfect building block. Yeah, absolutely. Start him off being bossed around. I think he gets made in a later season and yeah he slogs it out for yeah. a while so hmm. yeah as a clo- closing idea on this i love the visual motif of after tony kills febby he sees the ducks oh, yeah. flying in the v-shaped um yeah uh, form and i guess that's you know as obviously a reference to the ducks that were in his pool in yep. the first few episodes and just that existential dread that he has about mm. His family leaving him. Yeah, yeah. Not knowing about what impending fear is. Um, I 
I was wondering in that scene, like from Tony's point of view, because he's talked to his psychiatrist about the ducks. Yeah. And she's pointed out that maybe the fear of the ducks leaving represents his own family yeah. being leaving. Like if Tony's looking at those ducks, how do you think Tony would see himself in relation to them? Do you think, because like the ducks are flying in a V, do you think yeah, he's yeah. one of them? Or like, do you think he's separate from it? I, I think he's separate from it. Yeah. Okay. I think the ducks represent... Tony just had to be the mafia guy. Mm. Tony just had to do what he does to make a living and whatnot. Um, for a, that's kind of an escape for Tony from his mental issue issues, yep. from his family issues. And I think, you know, killing that guy gave him a, you know, sadistic sense of relief mm. and whatnot. But he looks up, he sees those and he realizes, oh fuck, I'm still depressed yeah. and I still don't know, you know, where I'm going with my life and I'm still petrified about what's the worst thing that yeah. could possibly happen. And, and I'm still doing terrible things that might drive yeah, yeah. my family away from me. I mean, that sort of thing uh, is absolutely why I think The Sopranos is, like, why it resonates with people. Yeah. And all those sort of fears are completely rational. They're the sort yeah. of fears that everybody has about yeah. doing terrible things. And, you know, am I a bad person? Absolutely. But that's what people grapple with, I think. Yeah, well, um, it's a great episode. It is you know, a fantastic you, episode. If you're listening to this, I'm guessing you've seen The Sopranos. Um, but, you know, maybe not. This is the show for you. Um, do you have any any more thoughts um, on this one? I have some comparing it to the Freaks and Geeks episode. Okay, maybe uh, we'll leave but that But yeah, we should, for, uh, we should come back to it because later on. I was thinking about similarities. But yeah, let's come back to that. Yeah, awesome. The next show we're going to be talking about is the iconic uh, teen comedy drama, um, Freaks and Geeks, Judd Apatow's Brainchild, um, the, the show which, you know, launched so many careers of so many recognisable stoner faces. It's impossible to watch an episode of this show and not see somebody that became famous later yeah. on. Like, it is mental. Aside from the main cast, I mean, like, all the guest stars became something, it... I, I love this show. Yeah. Um, the episode is Dead Dogs and Gym Teachers. I think this is hands down the best episode of Freaks and Geeks. And I, I think it is. I agree. But I think with the proviso that you really need like all the preceding episodes before it to set the themes of it. Absolutely. I this think... is not really a standalone. No. Not I... like there is many standalones in Freaks and Geeks, but it is no. an easy show to watch yeah, just yeah. on its own. And like once like... you've watched it, you can watch any episode like on its own because you get the characters so well. Uh but the reason I say you should watch all the other episodes beforehand is uh, Dead Dogs and what's the other one? Dead Dogs and Gym Teachers? That's what we're talking about right now. No, no, I, oh. yeah, yeah. Is that the name of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't write it down. But yeah, in this episode, you've got Bill and Millie becoming quite major characters. Yeah. And I would say that they're also the two most comic relief characters throughout yes. the show, especially Millie. Yeah. Um, Bill, sort of, you understand that he's like a proper character. Yeah. But Millie especially early on as very one note yeah so like to give a bit of a primer for this episode um basically this is about bill Haverchuk, played by martin Starr of you know silicon valley if you watch that right now also of being bill Haverchuk, one of the yeah. funniest uh. you know teen characters portrayed of all time um having to deal with the fact that his mum um is starting to date his gym teacher <laughs> ben fredericks also <laughs> Known as Biff Tannen. <laughs> yes. Uh, what's the guy's name? Tom Wilson. Yeah. The actor Tom Wilson. And as soon as you say that, that's just like the most horrible 
uh, possible scenario to think of. Like, if your mother is suddenly dating your gym teacher, and to top it off, you're awful at gym. Like, you're just terrible at sports, and you have no interest in it. Yeah. What also happens is uh, uh, Lindsay and... Oh, I forgot uh, the other character's name. It's totally gone. Uh, Kim Phillips. Yes. Um, About how basically... They Kim all wanna, Kelly, sorry, yeah. and Busy Phillips is yeah. the actress. They all want to. They all want to go to a Who concert. Um, basically, it builds up around this. They go for a drive. They drive over Millie's dog. Mm. Millie's dog is dead. Um, and it's about basically a bit of a cover-up episode of how they are trying to, you know, deal with the guilt and also trying to hide the fact that they killed their somewhat friend's dog. Yeah. And um, seeing the turn in Millie and also dealing with that as she turns into a dejected hopeless punk rocker yeah well millie uses her dead dog not as an excuse but it becomes a launch pad for her to sort of jump off the deep end and start being a rebel which we've seen uh lindsay do over yeah. the course of the show so it, it it's a nice little bit of echoing something i thought that was weird and I, I don't know if it's weird, bad. I think it's just notable is that Lindsay goes to lengths to stop Millie from becoming more like her. From yes. the get-go, she's very suspicious. Yeah. And that makes me think that Lindsay is still deeply unhappy. Yeah. There's like a there's like tones of jealousy, like yeah, I, I find in this. Um, mm. you know, in like I guess, you know, Millie trying to be, you know, the cool rock chick and yeah. whatnot. And like, you know, um Lindsay making that sort of uh change in herself, you know, mm. not how many episodes ever before at the start of the show? Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's take it back a notch. Let's yeah, yeah. Talk sorry, about I'm you know, um, yeah. Bill Haverchuk, Coach Ben Fredericks, Biff Tannen. Also, I just I'd like to you know talk about um, I guess the linear modes of how you know Ben Fredericks compared to Back to the Future and whatnot would have in time retrospectiveness mm. would have both been around the same age kind of in this because he would have gone a little bit older in the 80s and i do like the alternate universes of biff tannen and ben fredericks no that's quite good the continuing theory of tom wilson yeah no, that's fantastic um but yeah um i think you know in this story arc is pretty much one of the most shattering beautiful um pieces of tv history ever which is mm. when um after a you know shitty day at school sucking at basketball and you know being unhappy with you know the person you are and how you're not how high school isn't going for you have a chuck comes home to his creature comforts of Mm. putting on a gary shandling stand-up video um eating some you know fried toasted sandwiches some toasties and whatnot and just laughs himself hysterical yeah. while you can also tell he wants to cry himself hysterical. Yeah. That whole montage is fantastic because it starts so depressing yeah. and it ends up just so gleeful. Yeah. And like, uh, I don't know, Martin Starr, I think him and Linda Cardellini yeah. are just the best actors yeah. in that show. Yeah. Like, Martin Starr doesn't get enough credit, I think, for how deeply he plays yeah, yeah. Bill. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Considering is, how old he would have been yeah, at the absolutely. time, like, that's depth. Yeah, and he's so funny, and that masks it. Yeah, like, and that's exactly what that sort of kid would be yeah. like. Well, like uh, the common conversation about freaks and geeks is it's the most realistic TV show of all time, and mm. I can solely relate to my experiences of in high school of absolutely hating it, 
wanting to come home, you know, cry my head in a pillow yeah. just over what shitty thing would have happened, you know, of not, not being able to, you know, make it with a girl or, mm. you know, being bullied or, you know, being petrified of failing yeah. you know, a class and just watching the X-Files or Seinfeld as mm. something to actually get me through. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just those comforting things. Which of the characters do you think you're most like? Oh. That was a question I asked myself while I was watching it. And I came up with a depressing answer. Yeah. I think I'm most like Jason Siegel. Wow. Which which hurts. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. His character is just irredeemably sincere. Like, yeah, yeah. Horrible. And he writes the worst song in the world. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. I don't know. Um, It's hard for me to say. Um, to get so self-reflexive about a question like mm. that. Yeah, sorry, um, I no, put no, you no, on no. the spot. Um, I've, I don't know. Uh, I think the cynicism of Seth Rogen sometimes mm. I can relate to. Yeah. Um, sometimes I guess I'm pretty cooked, so maybe James Franco. <laughs> you know, we all get <laughs> a little bit cloudy-headed. <laughs> um, but, God, yeah. No, 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 that's a good answer. Yeah. I think all the characters are so well-formed that you can sort of see, like... And that's why the show is great, is because you can see yourself in nearly all of them, and you can yeah. definitely see yourself in those situations. Yeah, they write the situations perfectly. Um, I guess I really like you know Coach Ben Fredericks in this episode mm. because I think he really deconstructs the jock narrative, Absolutely. which um this show could have gone the easy route and you know said that the jocks are the bad guys, and you mm. know obviously that's you know uh. A complete fallacy and you know um i think that you know it does just the perfect way of speaking about how he is a man who is you know has his own problems is unhappy mm. with himself but he's just trying to do the best thing that he can in an uncomfortable situation and he yeah. comes off as you know being quite open and i you know i get very sympathetic for him yeah absolutely um, i mean you He's feel, finding it hard to relate. You yeah, know, and you feel for Bill, yeah. like very much so at the start, and like you can understand immediately why that would be a nightmare situation for yeah. him. But then you realize, man, the coach, like, he's not a thoughtless guy. No, he's just a completely different person to Bill. Yeah, like he doesn't care for Bill. Uh, he must be the only person in the world that doesn't like Bill Murray. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like you know, he doesn't like yeah, Bill yeah, Murray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those bits are amazing. It's so good. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I really like, uh, you know, the. I mean, what city is this set in? It's like no somewhere idea. midwesty, isn't yeah, it? Right? Yeah, must be. Yeah, yeah. I like you know the idea of him as you know this um sort of you know yeah anti-Vietnam lefty sort yeah. of you know progressive type and you know sort of being more invested in your rural hardworking Protestant work ethic, yeah, you yeah. know American type, which you know his dad and his dad before him mm. told him about that. I think that's like you know a pretty interesting historical piece on you know sort of uh, social trends in American history. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you can look at him and think, man, there is a dude whose dad played football with him. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. You can't help who your parents are. No, absolutely. And, like, that's his history, and he's not a bad guy. No, yeah. he's definitely not a bad guy. He's in a in a hard place, and he's trying to do the best thing he can. Mm. And you can tell that he honestly does somewhat care for Bill. Yeah, And he's absolutely. not just trying to get into Bill's mum's pants. Yeah, like, no, not at all. He's like, honestly he... does care for you know Bill's mum, and yeah. he wants you know. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit fedora guy at times in retrospect when he's like, I want to take Bill's mum away from, you know... Uh, from all the, this. Yeah, yeah, and, from yeah, her. Spirit her she, away. she doesn't need to, you know, dance anymore and stuff like that, yeah. you know, but all things in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, you know, Bill's mum is unfortunately the character that probably gets the least light shone on her in the episode. But um, 
like, uh, I don't know, as far as the relationship between Bill and the gym teacher goes, it's something that I don't think is displayed very often. Yeah. Like, the relationship between a nerd and a very jockey gym yeah, teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, their, their progression through the episode from the go-karting scenes yeah. and just, you know, your heart melting when you see Havichuk smile when oh, he's, like, really so enjoying good. himself and that freedom. And it's not just the freedom from, you know, realising that, coach isn't such a bad guy it's the freedom from you know all of his anxieties in life for yeah. that you know little split moment yeah. um because he loves his mum as much as the gym teacher does. yeah he he doesn't even need to say it i don't yeah. think he does in the episode like it's just a given yeah for him so he wants his mum to be happy and there's sort of the implication that his mum has dated other guys yeah who haven't been good to her yeah um and so he's very standoffish yeah mm. the the scene in the car um after the go-karting crash where you know coach really does have to open himself up to Bill. Yeah. And, you know, just says, look, we have our problems, but I love your mum. I care for her. And, you know, mm. you know, he wants to genuinely be for her for yeah. pure reasons. And that Bill realises that maybe he's been a little bit selfish. Yeah. In... It, well, like, he cries with, I think, genuine remorse. Yeah. Like, straight after that. Yeah. And I was like, man, like, I, you know... I think he's thinking more about his relationship with his mother. Yeah, at least that he hasn't thought about his relationship yeah, with yeah. his mother. And, you know, she obviously, you know, is a character which has been dealt a few, you know, hard uh, cards in life and mm. whatnot. And, you know, you can get so insular as a teenager and not think about the bigger picture. Yeah. And, you know, I think the show really beautifully, you know, tries to put all things in perspective. Mm. And, you know, um, yeah. Can we talk about The Who? I okay. I've never listened to much of the Who. Yeah, I only know them from like, uh, like I don't know CSI things yeah, yeah, yeah. and TV shows. Yeah, a and pretty poor Super Bowl Super Bowl performance once. Yeah, I, like that song is perfect. Yeah, the the montage where he's cooking grilled cheese and watching Gary Shandling is all set to yeah. a Who song called "I'm One." Yeah, and it is fantastic. Like it starts soft and just builds up. Yeah, and I. Like, it gave me the desire to sink my teeth into the Who back catalogue. So yeah. I'm sort of in the process of doing yeah. that. I've always been resistant to the Who because people have constant all the time say they look like Pete Townsend. Because <laughs> I have, a, like, to be honest, like, not the, you know, I have a little bit of a t Pete Townsend nose. Um, I don't know if it's there, but the I've always Townsend been a little... look. I've been a little bit resistant to this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a big part of this episode is... um. Lindsay and the rest of the freaks trying to get to a Who concert mm. and whatnot. And also, one of the best parts is Lindsay's parents oh, trying to work out what the Who it's is. so funny. And, Just, you know, what all these young kids are getting themselves into. And is, they're trying to discern what squeeze box means yeah, yeah, in yeah. the context of this song. And it starts off quite innocent. They're kind of actually enjoying it. Yeah. And then the phrase squeeze box comes up and Lindsay's dad just gets increasingly disgusted to the point where he has to leave the room. Yeah. That is a great scene. Yeah. Once again, relatable, realistic. Yeah. I can talk from my own experience growing up where, like many people, I saw the Simpsons Homer Palooza episode, instantly heard Zero and thought the Smashing Pumpkins were the sickest band yeah. ever. Oh, why so wouldn't you? I went out, I think it was probably Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. I bought that. My parents were like, yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> it's probably the Backstreet Boys or something like that. They listened to it, heard, heard a lot of swear words, immediately took it away from me I, and had to take it back. I and had the same thing, except mine didn't have any swear words in it. I was so baffled why they took it away. It was 
prisoner of society oh, by yeah. the living end. Yeah. I think they thought that it stirred up too many rebellious thoughts in me. Yeah, yeah. And then bizarrely, like six months later, they let me buy uh, the Ben Folds album, okay. Whatever and Ever Amen. Yeah. And that has the song on it called Song for the Dumped, which <laughs> has like a lot of very angry, weirdly masculine, yeah. like passive aggression in it and that is a very negative song yeah but they were fine with that because that's you know that's just piano music ben folds you know uh in retrospect let's not get into that no no no. that's for that's a story for another podcast yeah yeah. let's let's tackle that on the shitty bands we regret listening to podcast um um back on the who yeah i uh what was i gonna say that scene uh, where Bill is listening to it reminds me of an excellent scene in Louie. Yep. Uh, where he's driving to his grandma's place with okay. his kids and his favourite Who song comes okay. on and it's Who Are You? Like, who, yeah, who, yeah. Who, who. Um, and he just, like, he lets the whole scene play out and so he's air drumming and stuff. I feel like the Who, if they're a band that resonates with you, you must love them like nothing else. And yeah. I get the impression that whoever wrote this episode must love them. Yeah, hmm. absolutely. I think, like... Yeah, this show is so good at nailing pop culture of the time on the mm. head. Um, you know, yeah, I can, you know, just the, it's been such a sort of influential thing for trying to depict teen things of the, you know, yeah, the 70s and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, I don't know. I can't think of any show that nails the sort of teen experience quite as well as this one does. Yeah. Uh, like, it, every time I watch this show, it makes me think being a teenager is an incredibly depressing time. Yeah, yeah. Like, your body's going bonkers with chemicals and you're learning things like about yourself and about other people. Like, it, it is a formative time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and how, I think it's really hard. How do you feel about the legacy of Freaks and Geeks in retrospect to all where the characters are now? You know, Seth Rogen, uh, you know, James Franco... Jason Siegel, they're all mm. A-list celebrities. Um, Linda Cardellini, you know, does bits here and there. I particularly enjoyed her in Mad Men. I thought she oh, was really in that. Yeah, she was in the um, uh, second to last season. Okay, but, um, yeah, yeah, I got up to about season four of that. I yeah, um, Linda Cardellini is excellent in Gravity Falls. Okay, she plays a similar character. It's a Disney cartoon. Yeah, um, she plays a character, a teenage girl. Yeah. Um, and she's really the voice of wisdom in a yeah. lot of episodes. She's fantastic. She had a little bit in the latest Avengers film as Jeremy oh, yeah. Renner's uh, wife. or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was cool. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it's weird to me that she hasn't really gotten the same level of celebrity as a lot of the others. Because I think she carries the show. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Um, very rarely do I think that the, you know, the, um, the triumphant origin of someone's career which is propelled to stardom which is you know with judd apatow and mm. all of these actors are justified in that all these years later but i yeah. solely believe this with freaks and geeks yeah that, absolutely you know, i think deserved of you know so many people to get this success from this show yeah i want to be cynical about the show like because it's so popular and yeah. i have a deep-seated mistrust yeah, of popularity of but like you watch it and it just melts away. I can't feel cynical about Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. It just makes me happy. Um, so in that regard, yeah, I, you know, I begrudge none of them any success whatsoever. I think they're fantastic. Yeah. Mm. It's a show which completely makes you feel okay about whatever happened in your teenage years. Yeah, absolutely. Because it portrays the humanity 
the realness mm. of having no grudges or having yeah. there's no bad guys mm. and you know everyone is insecure yeah absolutely even to the meanest bully to mm. the dumbest parent one of the my, one of my favorite things in this episode is a real small thing uh where bill Haverchuk goes off in class he just yeah. loses it at the coach and alan the school bully Haverchuk's the king Haverchuk's the king <laughs> and just says it and Haverchuk doesn't think he's the king yeah, yeah, he's incredibly yeah. crushed yeah but everybody else just loves him for yeah. like that one moment we'll have Haverchuk is the king he is you know. the king isn't he yeah yeah Haverchuk, out of all of them, I feel like is immediately, like, relatable because, I don't know, every high school has somebody like Bill Haverchuk. I don't yeah. think I was particularly like Bill Haverchuk. No. I, no, I can think of people who were, but it wasn't yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't yeah. think anybody would identify as being Bill Haverchuk. No, that's not a that's not something you bring to the table. No. <laughs> <laughs> you never put your hand up to be Haverchuk. Yeah. But... Everybody knows a Haverchuk. Well, everyone's got a little bit of a Haverchuk in them. And oh, I think course. everyone's got a little bit of all of these characters yeah, in them. Yeah, absolutely. They're yeah. all... Oh, it's a perfect show. Yeah. I love it. Um, Having a look through some more of his notes. Yeah. Some more of my notes, sorry. I think, like, maybe as, you know, a way to wrap up, we can talk about how these two things compare as yeah you cool. know as a thing as you know as strands of ideas which is like a weird thing to compare you know yeah. the thematic <laughs> the themes and ideologies in the surprise of the freaks and geeks but i thought that guilt mm. was you know a huge theme throughout both of these things you yeah. know particularly kind of on the nose in freaks and geeks when mm. you know it's more specifically talking about the guilt of you know driving over someone's dog yeah and you know uh, how to deal with that but also you know the guilt as we talked about in the Sopranos about the life you live and what you've done for it yeah. and everything and all the, you know, the pain that people have endured that you've had to make the compromise. Mm. Um, yeah. To enjoy th- this guilt. Th- yeah. We didn't talk about Lindsay and Millie particularly, but there, there's so much guilt in that. Yeah. And you understand it. Like, oh yeah. Deeply. Yeah. And then like Millie, as well understands it she doesn't really begrudge Lindsay yeah. and kim like their whatever they've done to her dog no like, she hangs out with Lindsay afterwards and it seems like it's all okay yeah it's like, a very tender moment yeah it's fantastic it's in that regard it's quite different from the sopranos i think like freaks and geeks in yeah one tender way. moments are few and far between <laughs> yeah. the sopranos like um <laughs> freaks and geeks are, well, sort of like you've got meadow and tony being mutually honest True. now here's something here, i had some very superficial things that okay. i wanted uh, similarities um now they both have incredibly big moments for characters in cars yes <laughs> yes absolutely yeah and it made me think that a lot of really interesting conversations happen in cars i know for me when i go on tour and like drive around with my friends yeah like i think that's when i've gotten to know them the best yeah when you're in that forced enclosure so you've got meadow and tony talking on their road trip and you've got bill and the gym teacher in the parked car yes. in the parking lot i thought that was really interesting yeah no um yeah i mean yeah it is quite a superficial observation <laughs> but don't worry i it's have more yeah. um let's hear them uh another one is that both of these shows use popular song instead of actual scored music yes. which i think is really interesting yeah yeah i think it gives both shows uh it grounds them in our world mm. rather than in the heightened reality of cinema absolutely so you've got the who all throughout this episode of freaks and geeks and like it's immediately identifiable really yeah um and 
yeah, there's just background songs throughout The Sopranos. Like, there's yeah. too many songs to list in that show. Absolutely. So yeah, the music in The Sopranos is so good. Yeah. Um, I think that was about it. I couldn't find many similarities, but you're definitely right about the guilt between yeah, the two. Yeah, I mean... This will be a struggle throughout this podcast to, you know, as we try and parallel the most, uh, you know, different shows. But I think that, you know, it's a little bit on the nose, but mm. maybe, you know, a little bit ham-fisted. But guilt, I think, is there yeah, in absolutely. both shows. And, you know, I think this will be a long-standing theme in a lot of the great TV shows, mm. which, you know, um, mm. we look at and whatnot. Um, so, yeah. Um, any more final thoughts, Johnny? Uh not particularly if you haven't watched either of these shows i'd strongly encourage you to do it um they're both fantastic if you are after a feel-good show probably don't start with the sopranos yeah uh, probably start with freaks yeah. and geeks um freaks yeah, and geeks it's a little will, bit more light on yeah it will make you very happy that's not to say there's not a lot to take out of it but it'll make you very happy yeah mm. absolutely well this has been the first episode of in the pantheon um thank you for listening Thank you, Jono, for coming on. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And, Good luck um, with future episodes. Yeah, thank you. Um, see you in the future.